Welcome, welcome to this episode of the Potentiation Podcast. I'm your host, Fran Kalinske, and this is episode three. Thank you, as always, for joining in. I love to start every episode off with a little bit of gratitude. Today in our intro for episode three, I want to take a moment to explain the definition of potentiate and why I chose the Potentiation Podcast as the name for my podcast. Now, some of my personal trainer friends who might be listening know the definition of this word. And I want to explain what it means first, and then I want to explain the deeper meaning behind the podcast name. So to potentiate, or the process of potentiation in fitness, is doing something, warm up or exercise, to prepare yourself for something bigger. right? For, so for example, you do a couple of jumps to prepare yourself, to potentiate yourself for a squat. And the literal definition of potentiate on Google, if you Google it now, is to increase the power, effect, or likelihood of something. Now, the reason I chose this name, The Potentiation Podcast, is not just because I'm a personal trainer, but because I think this podcast can potentiate my guests, my listeners, to increase their power or effect or likelihood of something happening, right? If you're tuning in just for a little bit of motivation and inspiration, then hopefully this podcast can potentiate that. And that's pretty much why I chose the name Um, If you want to look more into potentiation and fitness, it's a very complex topic. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's a very, very deeper-seated meaning that I hope makes a little bit more sense to you now that I've explained it. Now, let me get to our guest for episode three. My guest for episode three is Bennett D. Bennett, and he's a friend of mine, former City College alum, which is where we met. We also met through a mutual friend named Stacy McGowan. Shouts out to Stacy wherever you are. And Bennett is somebody in the advertising world who is really making his mark. And when I say he's a jack of all trades in advertising, marketing, content strategy, you name it, this guy has too much stuff on his LinkedIn profile for me to actually go through right now. So hopefully in our interview, he can explain a little bit more about what he does. But just know that he is an award-winning copywriter, former journalist, and someone who works with global brand consultancies and is really undertaking some very, very meaningful work now at this stage in his career. I hope that he'll have some interesting perspectives to share for you guys, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with him. It's been a little while. We always have a broad range of topics to talk about. So without further ado, this is episode three of the Potentiation Podcast with Bennett D. Bennett. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to episode three of the Potentiation Podcast. A lot of things are on pause right now, but this podcast is not. We're still going, and I am happy to have a guest on today that is unique in a lot of ways. I met him through a mutual friend, Stacy McGowan. Shouts out to Stacy wherever you are out there in the world doing your thing. My guest today is Bennett D. Bennett, and I'm going to let him do most of the intro, but I will tell you guys that he is a branded content slash marketing slash advertising beast. He's a jack of all trades. He does so much in that world that I can't even begin to cover it all. So that's why I'm going to let him do a lot of the work. But what I will say is that you can catch this guy on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he's done some speaking, some TED Talk-ish type things in the past in the advertising world. And he's also got a lot of interesting projects in the works. Too much stuff on his LinkedIn profile for me to actually read. But Bennett, tell the world who you are, what you're doing right now, and tell us why you're the interesting guy that I just explained you are. Uh, so everybody, hi, my name's Bennett Bennett. Uh, I know my LinkedIn profile says a lot, but two major uh, things I'm taking care of right now are 
Trust, which is my consultancy that specializes in content strategy, design, and development. So I am the principal owner of it, and I lead any sort of content initiatives uh, for that uh, for the consultancy. I've got a few clients there. Got some interesting projects launching in the next month or two. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. And my second baby is 600 and Rising, which is this, which is a nonprofit that is driven by the advocacy and advancement of black talent in advertising. So I'm co-founder and uh, vice president of partnerships for that organization. That's awesome. I see a lot on your Twitter about representation in the advertising world. And I know that's been a venture for you even before the recent Black Lives Matter uprising. Talk about when you got into that. Talk about where the partnership with 600 Rising came in after you had found yourself involved in that realm. Yeah, so I've kind of been fighting for representation and diversity since I hopped in the industry. Mm -hmm. I'm a New York native, and when I found out that advertising was a career, uh, the first core thing to me was like, I'm from Far Rockaway, I'm at the uh, southernmost edge of Queens, and Madison Avenue is right there. You know, why the hell aren't many of us uh, aware that we can have career paths in this industry? So, you know, by, I guess, proxy of being a black man, being someone who, you know, hopped between colleges to, to figure himself out, just uh, took advantage of the different diversity initiatives that were, uh, that the industry presented to me, worked in an ad agency for, for a few years and then ended up covering the industry and got like a just crazy bird's eye view of uh, what's going on in the world in terms of our, our representation as, as black talent, how the infrastructure of, of that industry, of advertising and marketing kind of affects and afflicts us, right. uh, you know, between portfolio schools that kind of groom talent to be the best creatives and, and strategy people and uh, uh, you know, and things like award shows where, you know, you don't really get that much representation, even though there have probably been a ton of awesome people of color that have, have won things like Cam Lions and One Show Pencils and and, uh, and things like that. So for me, it's just always been a, a nag. And eventually I, you know, I, I did get burnt out uh, in 2018, took a sabbatical and in the midst of that ended up you know, launching launching A-List. Within a month of launching A-List, the George Floyd murder happened, the protest in Minneapolis started taking shape, and I got pretty fed up, you know? I felt like I didn't necessarily have a stake in the game anymore, so I was just letting everybody have it, from the trade publications to the ad agencies. I'm just like, this is serious. Like, right. what is the ad industry going to do instead of having some sort of you know, cute campaign to say black lives, hashtag black lives matter or have a black Instagram post, which they ended up doing anyway, but right. Um, it's yeah. one of those challenging things, uh, especially in the advertising world where a lot of people kind of scoff at, at those efforts to try to make things better because a lot of us know, or a lot of us have the assumption that those, those campaigns will last maybe a few days and then kind of fizzle out. So the problem you're attacking is a, is a large one. And I have so much respect for you for that. Backtracking a little bit. First of all, I didn't know that you took a 2018 sabbatical. That's really interesting because 
around that time, I think I had reached out to one of our former professors, Professor Villarosa, about a journalism project. And she was also, I think, taking a sabbatical either that year or she might have taken one 2017. So I just thought that was a cool little interesting intertwining sabbatical thing going on there. But you mentioned creative, which is what I think you would you would probably associate yourself in that realm. Talk about your inspiration and how you got into the field. What inspired you to want to become a creative and and a copywriter and an editor and 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 eventually lead you to all the roles that you have now. What was the inspiration? Uh, I'd always been writing, so you know it's weird when I tell people this. I, I started college as a physics major, mm-hmm. and uh, I was at Hunter College doing that, and people are like, "What? Like, make that make sense?" But growing up, my parents always had me in like STEM adjacent like programs for like extracurricular stuff. But I always loved writing. I always loved storytelling. I was always reading books. I was always trying to figure out how things work. So, you know, I always cared about creativity. My dad was a musician in a past life. Uh, I sing, I, I do some songwriting on the side as well. Nice. Uh, like, but I always just cared about stories. And I always cared about, you know, how stories and poetry and, and film and TV, you know, like how they all worked and just trying to tinker at them. So when I ended up out of Hunter College, I was, you know, I, kind of just flunked out that was that was a good time i went to kingsboro and took up broadcast technology and management and it was a little bit closer to what i wanted to do like my dad fixed tvs and stereos when i was a kid so i was just it just felt natural to me to be in those spaces because like i can like i've memorized every radio format and you know used to read tv guide like nobody's business so it was just like it felt like a natural fit for me to be behind the scenes right which is apparently like such a like cognitive dissonance for me now because my name's out there a little bit more but it's just like i'd rather be doing the work and that around that time it was a friend who friend who knew that i had like this pretty interesting tumblr blog where i was like writing uh superhero fiction and nice and uh song lyrics and all sorts of stuff and she's like you can write your ass off like have you considered advertising and i was like no i have not <laughs> I, I just like never fucking crossed my mind that, yeah like bounty didn't just come up with the quilted quicker picker upper by themselves they right. needed a writer they yeah. needed somebody to come up with something so so clever or corny depending on how you look at it exactly and i wanted to be that person it was like this feels like storytelling to me so why not do that yeah um and you know that 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 was essentially it like i I think it was just the fact that like i always kind of looked at creativity from i wouldn't say a scientific lens but from a lens where you know if you understand how the process works you know, it makes it a little bit easier for yourself to kind of like hop between one thing or another. Yeah. And not that the writing process is, is easy at all, but just like it's all format at the end of the day. Yeah. I've definitely had some heated but friendly debates with some of my fellow creative friends about which of the creative fields is, is hardest to delve in. And I've, I've made such a strong case for, for writing and, and, and this type of creative medium a lot of my friends will argue music and, and the music industry and how, how, how difficult that can be. But I, I really want to hone in on how you pivoted from physics to advertising and how that came about. 
specifically if you have any advice because that I know that transition transition took some years if you have any advice for somebody who's trying to transition into the creative field from whatever realm is there a blueprint for that like you said or is it just do you kind of have to find your own way do you have any tidbits that you think are universally acceptable for getting into the creative field find your own way absolutely because even when I was a physics major I wanted to use that degree to kind of like bolster my science fiction writing you right, know right. Uh, like at the end of the day like I knew I cared so much more about storytelling uh, but it was just you know being a first gen American to Jamaican to Jamaican parents uh, they wanted me to have a more stable uh, career path for myself and uh, again because of the fact that my dad uh, was just so immersed in electronics so I was like always around TV so I always cared about optics all, you know always around music so I always cared about acoustics and like how do I you know use that you know I, I like telling people sometimes like if I wasn't doing any of this shit like I would just like outfit people's houses with the best sound systems like there are because like you know how I was raised but also just like you know, I felt like, oh, acoustics would have been a great move for me because I just care uh, so much about how things sound and look and they just, to me, always have to have to be pretty. But yeah. it really is finding your own way. Yeah. You know, if you're an immigrant, if you are from a marginalized community, you don't have as much of a safety net, so to speak. Your parents kind of push that on you, that like the best sort of a lifestyle for yourself is one where you know, you're not pulling out a ton of loans when you have some sort of financial stability. And this path was not <laughs> the the most stable one, but like, I just, I worked in order to, to get work, you know? Right. Like, you just put myself out there, uh, whether that was volunteering or, or anything, but like, I knew in my heart that like, okay, if this is going to take me to a place where I can just write and feel happy about it, like I'm willing to put the work in, you know, when you do find that sort of calling for yourself in a, in a creative industry, uh, I'd say there has to be some sort of relentlessness, but also mindfulness right. uh, about it because, you know, I, I talk about my burnout often with friends and the sabbatical I took, but like that sabbatical felt like years in the making yeah. because I didn't really have time to give myself a vacation. I didn't really have time to, you know, to, to really just like be a person uh, yeah. in this world. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, it's easy when you kind of fall behind the eight ball, like, you know, mentally for me, you know, it was, it was when, when I flunked out. So I felt like I had to catch up to friends who I graduated high school with and were like finished with college like two years before I was. Yeah. I'm like, shit, I gotta, I gotta catch up with all the doctors in my life. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it, like, it puts this unfair burden on yourself that like people don't necessarily like have to run at the same race at the same pace, but like you do have to get there. Yep. I do think that there is a recurring theme with a lot of, the most successful people or people who in general are just successful that they're chipping away at something for a while and there is that that sense of relentlessness that comes with finding your passion but there is also a ton of reflection in that process and I do think that if you leave that reflection out burnout comes a lot quicker and uh, you know just speaking from your experience it sounds like that that completely revamped your energy for this type of thing 
because there's there's so many people who, especially in today's day and age, who are bred to just think that work, 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 work will get us where we need to be. And in many fields, that's not the case. And I would say in most fields, you, you definitely need some time for yourself to just relax, recollect yourself. So that's a great tidbit there too as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about where or, or how I should say your business ventures have gone because the elephant, elephant in the room right now is, is COVID and how people are pivoting to this work world that is unprecedented. It's, it's unparalleled. What, what challenges have you seen uh, in, in your work life, if, if any, since the virus has started? Uh, yeah, so I was, before I launched Aerialist, I was working at a startup, and at the moment I knew that the virus was going to be like a full-blown pandemic, I said, you know what, like, well, I gotta, I gotta quit this shit, because it, it, it wasn't the right scenario for me, like, and I felt that for a while. Right. So I'd been home since, like, I, I had, like, a throat infection before the pandemic, and I was home for, like, two weeks before... Oh, man. Yeah. Before everybody, you know, started like staying staying inside, so I'm like, shit. You know, everybody's got like like three months. I feel like I got four months. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was just. I think this pandemic, especially when I launched launch a list in particular, things kind of just supercharged from there. Like you don't have to run around the city and and pitch people for business, which which is great. But and that also means that you can kind of take some take clients from like anywhere in the world right so my first client is is this uh, lecturer in the uk and she is she's brilliant i met her through a mutual friend who uh, curates museums in the la area and they do a podcast together awesome and i felt like she was the most interesting person like talking about a platform that kind of didn't really exist yet but like she was building it on her own and i'm like that's a lot. That's um, cool enough, right? I'm gonna help you. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna help you like make a better web page. And like in talking to her, I realized, oh, this is like even bigger than a web page. Like you are really trying to change how the art community operates, especially early stage artists. Yeah. You know, and there were other interesting clients like her who just like had real problems to solve, but like didn't necessarily know how to go about them. And because I care more about content than marketing it's like i like i feel less limited yeah but that also means that you know i end up at least now in a situation where dope clients but now i have to like really build a team around all of these things yeah uh which again like you know when you are staying when you are working from home is kind of cool but also like there's just a lot of coordination that you don't really uh, think about when you're uh, fully operating in a digital space. Like when you're in a physical space, you can just like get people in a room, you know, task them to do things and then like only catch up again when, you know, you need to have those check-ins or when you need to have those uh, client calls. Right. It's just like, it's a little bit of, a little bit of mayhem, but you know, you, you kind of just like make it work and then you know, against the point about like mindfulness, just like make sure you have those those moments to like pull back from your computer screen, pull back from your phone and say like, all right, I need a nap. I need to make sure to get lunch. And then parents, you know, <laughs> that's the other thing. It's like, I want to do a little bit more like, living and breathing and maybe seeing friends, but like my parents are older. They are at a higher risk. So it's all 
these things that kind of come together and again it, it is a little chaotic but like really just like being mindful at every turn like if I can give any sort of advice for people and this is coming from somebody who like like spent four and a half years like dealing with the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy <laughs> you know it's like you kind of know that like when you're in a situation like this that feels like it's going to take a longer like a long time to like sort of self out yeah i have to prepare myself for that right. um and right. you know and that's been the tough thing for most people and this is why you're seeing a lot of uh you know a lot of loosened restrictions on the personal end but like clearly states you know states are like trying to figure out for themselves and it's chaos but realize you got to take this shit a day at a time yeah the, the, the trickle-down of the whole process has definitely been chaotic, to say the least, which is why, you know, people like ourselves who, who respond to meetings, appointments, and stuff like that, uh, we, we tend to give a little bit of headway now when, it, you know, when somebody's a couple minutes late and they say, oh, sorry, I had to do this or walk the dog. It's like, it's okay. We understand. You know, this is, these, are, these are crazy, crazy times. Um, for those of you who don't know, also Bennett uh, was one person that I consulted, you know, for uh, a cost of about zero dollars to ask about the podcast and ask whether I should launch this or another project. And he did give me the nod for the podcast, so I got to give him a little bit of gratitude here now. But that actually leads me into a segue into a kind of funny, maybe awkward question. I know as myself, I, I'm a personal trainer, and I get a lot of solicit response, uh, solicit DMs that are just like hey, can you tell me about this or, and can you give me some more information on this? As a creative, do you get that a lot as, as somebody, like do you get a lot of people who are trying to get free marketing advice from you and, and how stingy are you with that process? Because I know I, I am very stingy about giving people free consultation. So how do you approach that if you get those types of questions? I'm, I'm still getting used to that and it, it hasn't become more apparent to me than after after the open letter that led to uh, 600 and, and Rising's launch and I guess you know I gotta give a little bit of runway for the listeners when the the murder happened and all this stuff to transpire connected with a guy in Minneapolis we organized a letter where uh, 600 plus professionals in the ad industry asked for actionable change uh, from from advertising leaders and it, that was a snowball effect and it, that led to a lot of people congratulating me, but like a lot of people, especially white people and non-black POC allies, like, how can I help? What can I do? Like, what can I do to be like uh, a better ally? This, that, and a third. And I'm just right. like, okay, like I want to answer you, but like I'm fucking tired. Uh, I want to put people in front of you, but like my Rolodex is now very important to me, and I am figuring that shit out on the fly because friends have told me like okay your network has a value attached to that to it i never like i knew it but i also am the kind of person who feels as if ideas and creativity are natural like are renewable resource yeah you know like if you train your brain enough like you're never going to run out of of ideas whether they're good or bad because even the bad ideas lead to something but that does have value and your ability to give the sort of advice that can help make or break somebody's business, even if it's some small shit, it should have a cost attached to it. And trust me, I don't have the answer to like how much that is, but like, you know, when you think about your rates as a freelancer, like 
how can you break that down into a way that you know the time you spend has some sort of like you know in, income attached to it and yeah you can you can kind of be generous to friends but stingy to people who you don't normally interact with and you know i have a good friend at this marketing services club called we are rosie and we have these manifestation sessions every every two weeks and she's like listen any time that you do not give to yourself is energy yeah. And when somebody is trying to take that energy uh, from you, you need to charge them. Uh, there's this woman named Cindy Gallup who's a uh, big maven in both advertising and the emerging sex tech world. And her phone calls with people are $1,000. Yeah. If you want to talk to her, like that is what you got to put out. And I respect it because shit, like, <laughs> we, we got to eat, we got to we gotta live, but we also have to uh, we also have to protect ourselves and our, our value as as creative people. Like uh, you know, you you've been in the journalism game for for a bit. Like I I had been too, and the way that the system operates mostly benefits the either the publishers or more so the tech companies that yep. the publishers promote the stuff to. Yep. Uh, and it rarely benefits the people who are actually doing the work, doing the reporting. Uh, coming up with the creative ideas that people come up with and I feel like so much of that is why A-List was founded. I want to, you know, with that, I get to build homes for stories. Right. You can build homes for stories, you you know, you're building a, you know, sustainable models uh, for people like journalists, like visual storytellers, like whatever that may be and making sure that they have you know a cost associated to it and most of the time that cost comes comes from brands which is great and uh, you know reclaim your time even though yeah we're in a pandemic people are broke right now or like unemployment but you know be generous like be kind about like you know be kind and flexible about those rates but like also make let people know like this is not the usual scenario so understand like when things get you know in a better place like you're gonna have to charge a little bit more right that you don't need a a blue check mark next to your name to actually be worth something which i think is super important i think i think we're we're gonna see probably maybe after this pandemic i don't want to say probably but we may see an influx of people who just become self-employed and I think to your point, we will see a lot of people who begin to feel less selfish for asking for money for their work. For they don't want to devalue. You don't want to devalue yourself as somebody who is self-employed. And I think those words that you just mentioned that that um, that long rant about being your person, uh, your own person, and having your rates goes a long way. I want to delve into some more fun topics, some more stuff that we normally talk about when we catch up in person, uh, whether it's at Stacy's birthday or just at a regular, you know, CCNY reunion. But sports are, I think, making a comeback. And Ben and I talk frequently about sports whenever we see each other. But what is your take on all this? Because I, I, I have some mixed feelings as a sports fan, as a former sports journalist, about what what sports can do for us at this time. But you work in the advertising and, and branding content agency agencies, and I know that that some some people have raised concerns about if sports coming back will distract from the bigger issues that are going on right now. So, 
I'll, I'll make it a two-part question. First off, what's your take on sports coming back? Are you excited? And second, uh, do you think that it's counterproductive? Uh, so first question, I fucking miss sports. Every every day I'm walking to my dad, walk up to my dad, I'm like, did the Yankees win last night? <laughs> Even if they haven't played. Right. Just because, like, I know it's normally baseball season right now, uh, and usually the basketball season would have ended, but, you yep. know, we have those or so games for each of these uh, playoff potential playoff bound teams. Yeah, it's exciting. It is weird. It is heart wrenching because you do have huge spike of players coming down with uh, COVID nineteen. Do I think it's counterproductive? Um, like generally, I I am excited for it because the society kind of needs things to rally around yeah. to kind of boost the morale yeah and there's an opportunity for sports especially to to set a tone for how society kind of gets their shit together yeah because there's a ton of people not wearing masks there's yeah. a ton of people not social distancing yeah. and like when you are getting when you have these millions of americans who are home right and sports are back on tv you're going to see it firsthand like coaches in the second row at nba games have to wear masks yeah baseball teams uh when when they start playing like you're gonna get like 20 percent or 30 percent capacity at these stadiums even though they're outdoor spaces right and uh, you know the fans are probably going to be required to have some sort of face coverings yeah which you know which kind of sucks but it's just like this is when you really know it, it's real because for, for these major sports leagues who have probably had like a ton of revenue loss as it is, but still have these big time media deals. Yeah. You know, like it's just like they have to make sure that whatever they do for the fans, you know, is something that is beneficial for, for what they represent. You know, for, for the for these teams, it's it's their cities, it's their geographic regions. For for the players, it is it is their respective communities, whether you're Latinx or or Asian or Black or White. And I don't think it's counterproductive. I think my hot take about this is I think there's just so much room in this time right now that can shape the next couple of decades in in how we address these issues, and only sports can do that. I, that's a perspective I didn't consider, not not necessarily from the social justice aspect, because I do know that the NBA is planning to paint Black Lives Matter on the sidelines or, or something to that effect. I believe the NFL, you know, too little too late, but they're trying to do something with their helmets to represent social justice, and I have my own opinion on where they stand. I, I feel like they've been long removed from this whole thing and are just way too late to the party now. But I didn't consider the impact that it could have on COVID when you consider that, yeah, people in the stadiums might be wearing masks and people, you know, coaches and staff might be wearing masks. And I think so many people glorify sports figures and glorify sports themselves that we, we have idols. We have athletes who are idols. We have coaches who are idols. That is a powerful thing because, you know, when we see those people who, who we love and respect and we idolize wearing masks and for those of us who are questionable on the whole masks issue it, it might start to change some minds but you know what's gonna be fucking funny and and you know this from covering basketball yeah like those little runaway walks where every athlete's got the little steez going on yeah like they are going 
going to make masks more fashionable than anybody. Yeah. Like, anybody. Like, it is, it's going to be a moment. <laughs> it is going to be a moment. It's, it's, it's really confusing, though, because there's so, like, that, that, that is a thing. You know, you go on eBay and, and, and Amazon, and there's, there's stylish masks on there now. The problem I see is that just, like, is this going to be the next fashion craze and and will the supply be able to meet the demand i was listening to npr the other day and 3m the company who makes a lot of the n95 masks says that demand is through the roof but supply can't meet that quota which is pretty crazy to think considering how many masks they need to make for that to happen and then you know i'm sure cloth manufacturers and 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 other clothing brands will start to make their own masks but yeah, that's something I think uh, an interesting ripple effect that'll come out of this is, first of all, how long are we going to wear the mask? And second of all, how fashionable are they going to get? I know for sure we're probably, if not already, going to see some Supreme masks dropping and people are going to be socially distanced six feet apart waiting outside the store waiting for those masks to come out. I think if you told me in 2019 that people would be wearing masks for fashion, I, I, I would not have believed you. So Wait for uh, LeBron with the you know Nike label mask walking in into the into the stadium in, in florida like yeah that, that that's gonna like it will normalize things in a way that politicians have been able to do yeah question uh on sports before we dive into one more topic do championships count this year because the debate is going to be the abbreviated season oh it was much easier or much more difficult for x team to accomplish this do you, do you have a, a stance on whether or not these these asterisk seasons if you will are are going to be remembered in the history books as favorable uh yes because who the fuck knows what's going to happen in 2021 (laughs) right Uh, right the nba season had already started right and then these guys got uh a good significant portion of time off right and then you're like restarting with about eight games to go to uh to the nba uh playoffs like, it, it's not an asterisk. I, I know there are um, journalists I really respect, like Taylor Rooks and, and a few others, saying, like, yeah, without question there is. But then, like, Giannis uh, just, like, kind of brought it back into perspective. Like, there's us who can, like, have our hot takes on whether an asterisk, you know, an asterisk is necessary. Yeah. But, like, they're the players. And for them, like, you have to still be on mentally. It has, like... I think it is going to be a much, like, the championships are going to be more earned, especially in basketball. Baseball, when you think about, you know, 162 fucking games, you're cutting out 100 of them, 102 of those games uh, before you get to to the postseason. Right. Like, that is ridiculous. That is an adjustment. Like, you can't put an asterisk, like, you, you can maybe put an asterisk, on that and say shortened season like labor shit and all but like it is hard when you have spent like five to ten years of your career used to you know a way of going about things and again you don't know what the 2021 seasons are going to be like yep. uh, you know depending on the vaccine but like it makes the style of play more intense it makes ev- like it really really makes every moment uh, every inning count uh, that much more. So yeah, yeah, the championships will damn well be be worth it. Like ticker tapes and all that. I have to agree. I mean, just from a physical perspective, my background in, in training tells me that 
you know, the, the, the level of conditioning that some of these guys endure during the season puts them in such a great position to succeed in a shortened season. But the psychological effect definitely takes some adjustment and will definitely not, shouldn't be underscored when you consider these guys took three months off with the NBA and are coming back. They had to maintain some really, really good shape to be able to perform in the next couple of weeks. So um, I definitely agree. Real quick, because I know you got a meeting in about 15 minutes, so I want to end it on one more kind of funny, lighthearted topic. Maybe there's a lot of them, but give me your three funniest memories at CCNY, our college that we went to. I mean, we, we gave a shout-out to, uh, to Stacey McGowan, and I think I knew of her from, like, social media before I actually met her, and I'm just like, she's got this big personality, and then I meet her, and she's, like, this tiny person. So <laughs> right. I'll, I'll give that – I will add that there. Um, I think just being in, in Shepherd Hall, period, I was just, like, doing all this renegade shit, getting people on, like, agency tours and shit. And I remember uh, uh old professor – just like, why are you ruining the major? And I remember crying, but like, in hindsight, <laughs> like really laughing at that because I'm just like, shit, you know, like I'm, I'm doing something a little different here. But like, yeah, no, third funny thing was just like, I live in Fall Rockaway, that shit was like almost two hours of a ride. So going up like the fucking hill, at, like coming off of 145, oh, man. walking up the hill, yeah. like maybe getting some halal or going to the checkers on the corner. It was kind of just ridiculous to know that, like, I was willing <laughs> to, like, travel that far to go to to go to go class. But uh, I, I was here for it. I was here for it. Like, it was my favorite of the college experiences because it, it just, like, it felt like, uh, you know, Hogwarts in a way. The people were characters, but, like, you appreciated them in a way that, uh, you don't really get in the rest of the CUNY system. Like, I've been to Hunter, and, you know, there there's this air about it because it's Upper East Side. Uh, I was in Kingsboro for, for a year, and that felt like being in Rockaway. All my friends were there, and that was great. Like, I still really liked the energy of it. Yep. City, though, it was just, you know, it, it really did feel like a home. Like, uh, my classmates made it feel like home. The student life was, was cool, and it's just an honor to graduate, period, for me. <laughs> Bennett, my friend, I'm glad that CCNY was the landing pad, and I'm glad that it was the springboard for everything that's that's kind of transpired since then. And I have to agree, memory number one, running into five foot one Stacy McGowan and Shepherd Hall yeah. was pretty memorable every time it happened. So I can, uh, I hope she's not too mad if I got her height wrong, but... I'm I'm somewhere in the ballpark. Yeah, no, I think uh, the fact that you've given her a height that's probably at least an inch or so more than more than it is is probably going to make her feel less small. That's great. Uh, she'll take it. Yeah, Bennett, I really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, it was great to talk, catch up, and chat. I'm I'm always glad to hear that you're you're doing new stuff, new creative stuff. And for the listeners out there, where can they find you? Yeah, so anybody can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Bennett D. Bennett. My name has two N's and two T's, like, for both my first and last names. So it uh, shouldn't be too hard, but people people make it hard on themselves. But, uh, yeah, Bennett D. Bennett on Twitter and Instagram. I should note that in doing my research before this episode, I don't know if it's just because my computer or my Siri, but when I punched him in on Google on my laptop, Bennett D., your your full name should come right after on the Google search, which I think is is pretty cool because it came up right the first first result for me. So, Middle of this 
There you go. Bennett, thanks so much for hopping on. This has been episode three of the Potentiation Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Bennett.